Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy. Uh, perfect. I, my really early communion memory was, uh, so I was raised Mennonite, which means you don't take uh, or you're not baptized as a child. And then we became Presbyterian. And Presbyterians are sprinkled little baby style. And so um, when I got to the Presbyterian church, I think I was the only person who was not baptized. Sally's nodding. She was there too. No, she's not on me. Okay. So I think I was the only one that didn't get the sprinkle. And so I think I had to be confirmed, I'm pretty sure, and then like had to get baptized. And then I could take communion. Point of story is, um, that was borderline traumatic. I felt a little forced into the whole thing. The first time I remember going to my Presbyterian church that I went to and grew up in, which was a great church, um, I remember coming downstairs afterwards, and all of the high schoolers and middle schoolers were, like, chowing down on the bread. Like, they were eating it as fast as possible. Like, it was, like, full-on snack time. And they were, like, downing juice. Like, it was chaos. And I remember my mom, who... If you know the Enneagram, she's an Enneagram one. We call her the Jude. And the Jude came down and was like, her face was just like all horror. She was like, oh no, Sarah, you're out of here. Like, so it was like, I didn't ever get to snack on the juice and bread later. I'm still, my time's going to come on that one. So anyways, uh, so I just wanted to start thinking about communion. What's your memories around it? What's your thought process around it? Um, We've been going through Mark, if you've been with us, and we are on Mark 14 this week, so we're talking about the Last Supper. Um, And in preparing for this week and thinking through it, um, I think I had to really kind of start asking the question, and I don't have the answer, by the way, right now, um, why do I personally take communion, and why do I personally partake in this ritual and this experience outside of, I know the story, I can tell you the story, I know why we do what we do, if that makes sense. So kind of doing that inner work. And uh, spoiler alert, that's my goal this morning, that we just start to ask and think through and process that together as a community as we look at the story. So if you've seen The Last Supper, if you've seen famous paintings with The Last Supper, you might notice that um, often it's like a Jesus with like lovely, like flowing hair or like, and there's all men sitting there and it's like, kind of looks like the party you didn't get invited to if you're a woman, maybe you're a person of color or a different experience, okay? And so I realized this week as I was looking through art and trying to do kind of more the visuals of like, how do I picture the Last Supper and that moment and sitting with Jesus And I realized that really deep down, there was a message to me over and over again, because I've never seen a painting outside of people who have kind of redone them later. But those more original paintings, like, my face isn't in that painting. Like, I'm not there. And so I think there was kind of this deep-seated message of, like, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know this. And also, I didn't get included in kind of this most significant moment. And I didn't really know what to do with that. So I went on a deep dive of Last Supper photos and images and how people have looked at them. And the one I want you to look at with me is Leonardo da Vinci's photo. So I'm going to own with you, I am no art history major whatsoever. And so this is kind of like through seminary and different things. But um, this is our photo that we pulled up. You may know the painting was done in 1495. It was an experiment. And so actually much of it has crumbled. And this is kind of like a reworked, they've like different, if you Google it right now, you're going to see a bunch of different like color versions of this photo that some are better than others, okay? And um, I want to point out like a few specific things. I'm going to come right up here. Uh, So number one, 
uh, Leonardo da Vinci really likes uh, symmetry, and so if you pull out these faces, you can actually Google this and see it. What they have is they say that this is kind of the central lining and image, and it's supposed to be like the temple or what represents the temple, it's thought right here. And then these are supposed to be kind of like a cityscape behind it. You can see that gets pulled out when they pull out the color and all the other things. Interesting thing number one, uh, there seem to be kind of more messages behind what this uh, art was saying. Number two, uh, important thing is that this is after the scene, we'll read it in a second, where Jesus basically says, like, one of you is going to betray me. And this is supposed to be the reaction of the disciples and everyone in the room. So that second right after, which I think is amazing, right? And so one of the things, if we could have the next image that shows, here we go. Okay, so this is supposed to be Judas. And an interesting thing about this is that there's salt that's spilled. And that's actually very intentional. And it has to do with Jesus being salt of the earth. I mean, we can start quoting. Some of you are really good at quoting Bible passages. You can do that for me. Uh, so those are what this is referring to. And it's thought this is kind of like this declaration moment of Judas saying, like, I'm not doing this anymore. So that's a significant part of this piece. Other interesting things with while we have this close up, if you read Mark 14, you'll notice that there's a bunch of really specific things about the meal and the preparation of the meal. And so therefore, it appears that Da Vinci spent a fair amount of time what was going to be on that table with food. So specifically, the argument is if this is eel or herring, which is a fish, and that word in Italian specifically talks about like denouncing their faith, basically. And so they think that that's actually an intentional declaration of what's on that table. And the last thing, if we could go to the first photo. Okay, here we go. The last thing that I think is interesting about this, if, if you'll see this person, who looks rather non-binary. Perhaps Leonardo was very progressive. We didn't even know it. And uh, so this person specifically here, sometimes this person is argued to be Mary Magdalene, which sounds lovely. I would like that, to be honest. I could start going on my own theological banter about that. Uh, but more so, it's likely that this is actually Leonardo who did not make um, or made more non-binary looking males, if that makes sense. And so this actually goes with his style. And so that's not actually thought to be a woman. That's actually thought to be a man, which is important for what we're doing next, if that makes sense. The thought process, the historians have looked at this. They do not think that a male is included in this version of this, or a female is in, included in this version of this story. So important things to keep in mind. Uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to read Mark 14, if you would pull that up in your Bible. We're going to have a panel today of, uh, of a lot of women up here. So if I could have the panel come up and get settled while we get going on this. So we're going from Mark 14, 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciple asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, 
Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips into the bowl, bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. When he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay, so I think many of us have maybe heard that before. It's kind of a famous story. That's where communion is coming from. It shows up in all of the Gospels, which tells us this consistentness to the story, right? We know the story comes back up over and over. And um, so here's what we're doing today. So I wanted to ask my friends up here if they would have a conversation with all of us basically in the room together, and our conversation would be around what was communion to you as a kid, and what does communion mean to you now, in hopes of answering that question of like, what does the Last Supper have to do with our lives today in 2020? And um, with that being so, I'm going to come sit next to you, Avery, but I want to introduce you to my friend Avery. She's the best. She's downstairs often, so you may not have seen her. Um... And Avery actually is going to describe to you what happens in our kids' program currently, um, because you may or not know that over the years, church history has defined who can, who who cannot take communion, and what that means. So that's why you've got different denominations. They've got different thought processes around that. Cascade is a church plant, which means we get to do what we do, basically. (laughs) Um, And then, so Avery's going to describe our kids' program. Will you go ahead and do that? What do we do downstairs? We let two kids take one, one take the bread and one take the cup and we let them pass it around to all the other kids and then we drink eat the bread and drink the cup together okay and so then Avery tell me is it exciting if you get to be the one that passes it out kind of I mean (laughs) depends who you ask Avery's apparently never fought for it so (laughs) what happened is that Cascade started and um we were starting to have conversations and I was talking with someone and they're like so what do you do for your kids program you care about your kids I was like that's a great question I kind of forgot that they haven't taken communion the last year and so what happened is that's what we started doing is that kids are serving downstairs as we talk about what communion is so that's been your experience as in the last how many months that your family has been at Cascade. Why don't you tell me, um, our first question is going to be, what does it mean to you, and we're going to talk about childhood experiences to take communion. Avery, will you talk about that, and then Connie's going to chat on it. You, want, you go first. What communion means to me today is a, sim- a very simple, easy reminder that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Yeah, I love that. Connie, do you want to talk about what it's meant for you as a kid, and what that looked like? Yes. Um, one of First memories, Iran. Okay, one of my first memories of of communion was not taking it, and I think I was probably around six years old. So, and for whatever reason, in our church we did it. I believe either once a month in the Sunday evening service, and I remember as a six-year-old just starting to cry because I couldn't take communion. And I remember being old enough to be embarrassed that I was crying publicly. And I remember my mom actually, I think I hopped up and she actually carried me out as a six-year-old. And I was crying and I was like, why can't I take this? And my mom and dad, who are extremely um, 
conventional, careful, and all those things, um, they said, well, we don't know for sure that you really understand what it's all about. Mm. And I, I was just heartbroken. And so then I said, well, if I can tell you what it's about, can I do it? So, mm -hmm. And I did. And the next time, from then on, I was able. So I actually don't remember my first time, but I remember... I remember the exclusion as a kid. Mm. It was it was enough to make me cry publicly when I did not want to cry mm -hmm. publicly. So yeah. Anyone else have experiences of exclusion, not take not or being told you couldn't for a reason? Any childhood experience? Okay. Yeah. So my first memories are also from when I was about six, but I had the opposite of ex experience when I was a child, where I was baptized at six, which meant I could take communion. So I don't remember in elementary school ever not taking communion. And it was actually this kind of like prideful thing. I went to a church where the congregation was much older and so it made me feel really connected. Um, but then as I started getting into high school and started to discover who I was, I started having really bad anxiety when it came to taking communion because I'd been told my whole life by my inner circle that people like me, that LGBT people could not partake in the Eucharist or in church community in general. And that became more and more clear as I grew up and started to be more open with who I was and was really explicitly um, excluded from the church from high school on. Mm. Thanks for sharing, Karen. Anyone else? Childhood stories. Anything we remember? I grew up in the German Lutheran church, and so I think it was very clear until you got confirmed with 14 that you wouldn't partake. But then there were, like, I mean, my friend circle was bigger, and we would also attend other denominations now and then and just events there and church services. And I think what I remember a lot in my childhood with connected to communion is that I was never really sure if this was one where I could go and one where I couldn't go. And kind of my mom also didn't really know who made that decision. So I think, and I, I actually, as I was processing this and, you know, like my experience with communion, I think honestly, till this day, I've, I kind of carry this with me to be like, am I really invited up there? Because it's, I think that was just my childhood. Like it was never, I mean, I was mostly not invited, but then, and I, I don't, I never really thought about it more, but I was like, it makes sense that that would kind of stick in my brain. I'm like, oh, communion, I guess I'm an adult now. I can do it, you know, mm -hmm. so. Did your um, pastor, yeah, did he uh, bury the communion after you took it? Like, what did they do with the communion? I thought Lutheran bury it outside. <laughs> uh, not in Germany, I guess. I don't <laughs> Not Sorry to disappoint, but it was super, like, I mean, what you're telling about kids eating, like, it was really, like, serious business, like, it was, I mean, and that was, felt, that was also weird, like, you know, because um, when you were, it was very much like you would walk up and there was someone handing you the bread and the wine or the juice, and it was always said the exact right words, you know, whatever the equivalent is in English, but, like, Jesus' blood for you, you know, given for you, and, um, but also it was very much like, I mean, I never got the symbolic really, like of like Jesus' body given for you, like I'm eating him, like at that was all very vague. So mm -hmm. yeah, but no burying. No burying, darn, okay. Okay, so I sort of wanna open up a question, maybe if other people wanna talk about this. I also came from a background where you had to be baptized. So when I was six, I got baptized because I wanted to be very spiritual. And I just love like these little miniature cups. They're like so, <laughs> cool when you're a kid to have that little tiny cup. Um, but as I got older, and I mean, I know this is not exactly childhood, but into like being a teenager and being a young adult, I think just week after week and year after year of taking communion, I really started to absorb this belief, not that like baptism made me 
able to take communion, but I had to um, sort of hate myself in order to take communion. Mm-hmm. I came from a, some churches where communion was this really, really intense time at the end of the church service, and a lot of the emphasis was you better remember what a wretch you are and that you need this in order for God to look at you. And um, <laughs> we'll probably talk about this in a little bit, but that has really affected how I um, view communion today, and I'm still trying to undo some of that. So I wondered, even if you didn't take communion as you were a child, it, did other people sort of feel like, I have to feel a certain way about myself before I can take this? Harriet, you want to say something? Yeah, so I didn't grow up in the church, so I have no memories as a child, and I became a, a believer in uh, as a senior in high school, so I think the first church I intended, I probably had to go through some kind of membership class. So baptism, membership class qualified me to take communion. But then there was a third layer, not just that you prayed that prayer, but every time you came to communion, you had to think about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. Examine your heart before you take communion. And if there's any sin that's unconfessed, then you can't take communion. So there's a level of, you had to be like holy, you know? And so it, it just, uh, that really messed me up. To agree with that. So um, we didn't have to go through confirmation, but you kind of had to like be okay that somebody had to say that you were okay to take communion. You know, you, you had to be a certain age where you did understand what was going on. And once you pass a checklist, then you could do that. But yeah, that was actually a big part of it. So every month I felt like it was like spiritual booger checking. Okay, Jesus, is there anything wrong? If I forgot about like confessing something, like, can you like, okay, you have like, know what I should be confessing before I take it. And so it was a little bit stressful in feeling like, I hope I got everything or I'll be condemned. And, and so it was, yeah, it went from, yeah, I'm adequate to take communion to, oh, my gosh, I hope I'm okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a little stressful. Boy. Tell us, Chelsea. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it when, when you asked. Um, so I had parents who had really heavily deconstructed and um, still took us to church sometimes. But I think we kind of knew it was for, like, community, uh, not so much because of their belief. And so, like, partaking in a, in a ritual like this always felt really awkward. And as you were, like, explaining the different rules behind it, I'm like, man, I wish they would have told me because I had no clue whether we were supposed to, whether we wouldn't. And, and it would have been, I feel like it would have been weird to do that maybe in my family to be the one who's like, yeah, I'm going to participate. I don't know what this means, and I don't think my parents are going to. So, um, so yeah, there was there was a lot of discomfort and awkwardness around it that I'm still not sure. Like, I do it, and I'm like, I think I'm okay to do this, and and I think I believe this, or I th- yeah, this this matters. But I guess having the adults as a kid kind of iffy on it or like ambivalent or not interested kind of impacted how I saw it. Um, right. And that's still there. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Found it. Uh, yeah, I was thinking as uh, you were talking about checking your or checking your sin and whatever. I was thinking about when pastors say like you need to be in right relationship with everyone around you. Like if there's any hardness in your heart, I'm trying to think through the language because that's not necessarily what I grew up in. But I was trying to think. So for me, what's interesting is that was actually a really positive experience because it allowed me to. It called me to examine me if that makes sense. So it, I wonder, like, the differences between, like, with, whether that was because I was older, and so I was like, you can't shame me anyways. Like, I'm good. I got a lot of shame going on. 
Like, it's not going to make it worse. So I just wonder, like, how that experience, has anyone else found that, like, positive? Like, we don't say that, per se. Like, I would never ask someone else to do that. Any pastor ever asked that? I don't know if it was positive, but it was more of a maybe a neutral experience because um, I've shared before that after I graduated from Bible college, I ended up seven years later an atheist. But that process of those seven years of losing my faith, about midway through, I had a hard time telling my husband about it, telling people about it, because uh, mm. it was shaming that way. Mm. But I decided to take a stand, and that is I quit taking communion. <laughs> that was my... One way that was kind of hidden, but not hidden, but because John noticed. <laughs> and, um, but that was like, in some ways, like this rebellious, I don't get you, God, I'm angry at you, and I don't believe in you anymore, so I quit. And that was mm-hmm. my first outward step, ta- you know, thing to do to let's, yeah, to finally declare that. It was a huge step for me. Mm-hmm. To do that, and probably a really helpful step for where it you was, were in that season. It was because I needed, to, yeah. I and part of it is because I I knew, you know, having been told you have to confess, make sure everything's right between you and God before you take communion. Nothing was right between me and God, so that was on that heels of that kind of thinking already. But it was kind of like a relief to finally just have it out, just to have it, yeah, mm-hmm. do something about my lack of faith. <laughs> so. Anyone else? ever in their process stop taking communion? Oh, you want to go? You go. You go. All and so um, we, my church was kind of awed that we had it at the side, but it wasn't something that anyone else did because the theology behind that is that you don't need an external symbol to mediate an internal transformation. And so for the past year or so, it's been such a personal thing where nobody's telling me if I can or can't take it because nobody else is taking it. So there's no requirements. There's no um, checklist. So this past year, it's kind of been the opposite where no pastor or no person above me has told me that I can't take it because it's odd for them that anyone would take it in the first place. Ooh, those Quakies. Love the Quakers. Yeah. Yeah, when Sarah mentioned she wanted to do a panel on communion, and she said, would you want to talk about it? I was like, no, I don't want to talk about it at all. I actually feel like a really bad Christian because um, for the past few years, I have not taken communion very often. And when you're someone who's raised in the church, and I still have this within me, I want to be like the best possible Christian so God will love me the most. Um, It's just something I just started doing as maybe trying to have an element of control and also, I think it comes back to my personality where I hate lying. And so I just couldn't whip up whatever negative feelings I was supposed to have um, about myself in order to approach God. Um, my shirt says conflicted vibes only. That's definitely how I still approach communion. And it feels hard to talk about that publicly because in my mind, everybody else has communion already figured out and they know what it means. Um, and every once in a while, through other people's testimonies, right, I get to hear, like, no, it's complicated for most people. And some people have, like, ecstatic experiences with communion, and I think that's amazing. I don't tend to have that. I do still, I feel so so conflicted about it. I will say, attending Cascade, um, just hearing one little phrase has made it easier for me to take communion. And that phrase is, the table is open for all. And that has made a huge difference for me wanting to come up. I still don't know exactly what it means. Uh, Maybe I'm not the only one. (laughs) 
Okay, so I want to transition from, like, childhood into, like, more current. What does community mean to you today? How are you experiencing it, Danielle? You transitioned us well to that. Hannah, I'm wondering if you would start talking about your experiences as being a single woman in church and things we've talked about. Yeah, so I, the church attended before this one would have, in the end of, sir, uh, like, after sermon, usually, I mean, at least a time when I was attending three uh, church, um, three worship songs of more, and then there was this long row, like a long table set up with multiple stations, so many, many stations, and people could just like walk down the aisle and you know take communion on their own um, as they you know felt led or lined up to do that. And what happened was usually was like that all the couples and families like would walk up to a station and then <laughs> would completely hug and like you know form this little circle and have this most I don't know from the outside looked at the most intimate moment um, with Jesus, which great, you know, bless their hearts. That's awesome. But what happened to me was like I would always walk up alone um, or maybe sometimes included with friends and but mostly alone. And then I had a friend visiting from Denmark who comes from a very traditional, um, um, you know, like a very formal church setting. And she was the first one actually helping me like process this because she was like, you know, very European outspoken. She's like, I don't like this way to do it. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like it really like is communal and really like, you know, includes the community. I feel like everyone just does it on their own. And I was like, well, but, you know, we hipsters like to be independent and don't. But I think there was a piece where I was like, yeah, I think as much as it can be awkward to come, you know, together and to look at a stranger's eyes and like to receive the bread, there is something about that that actually includes everyone. So I think that was a big piece. And that's what I love about doing it as a group now. As far as, uh, Sarah, you were wanting to kind of keep in mind inclusivity as one mm -hmm. of the themes. And, and I just have to piggyback on this because in the church, at least here in the States, singles have less power. And there's a symbolic thing that happens. And I just don't want to preach about this because it really annoys me. Um, but stuff like that, you know, where you are, you are excluded and, and that there's an implication that theologically this was meant for, uh, for couples and for families rather than the, the community. So, yes, as a married woman, I don't like that for the single. I love, I love that we're able to do this like this here. And you said, that's fine. It's fine if they do it that way. But it makes a very strong statement that if you're on the other end, it feels really yucky. So. Others' experiences today as an adult yes. or Avery. <laughs> when I was little, I used to take communion like right away, just eat the bread, drink the cup, and then go back to what I was doing. But as soon as I aged, I realized you have to think before you take it and think like, wow, Jesus did this for his disciples as a reminder that he died for the entire, died for the sins of the entire world. Hmm. Avery, how do you feel about there not being a female disciple that you know of that we've learned about downstairs? Have you ever thought about that? Now that you mention it, I don't think I have, actually. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, it's a little embarrassing because I don't know if the quotes are actually from movies or from like reality. But I, <laughs> I was watching the two popes, which I think is a really cool movie. <laughs> and one of the quotes actually that impacted me and made me realize this is actually now how I see communion, which is 
um, it's not a prize for the perfect, but food for the hungry. Mm. And I work in a clinic where we deal with kids with obesity and stuff like that. And I tell them, you know, your body is very wise and it asks for things that it needs. Mm. And so now, and if it's not getting what it needs and getting like junk food, it will still ask you for more because it wants what it needs, you know? And so I think I've sort of transitioned my thought of communion is as like acknowledging I don't have everything that I need. And so I'm asking Jesus, knowing that you died for me to fill up what I need. Mm -hmm. I don't, sometimes I don't even know what that is. And so just acknowledging that I, I can't do it on my own and I need what, what you're able to provide me. So maybe more of like just taking it in like almost a ritual and faith sense of like, I'm going to continue this process. I don't necessarily right. know what this, yeah, right, right. I like that. I'm not even sure where it's going, but it's also, you know, that when Jesus was talking about the two prayers and which one is acceptable, the one that acknowledges I do not have what I need mm -hmm. and help me is the prayer that he can hear the best. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Kelsey, I'm going to keep calling you here. <laughs> uh, mm, okay, doing it today. Um, I was actually thinking about, I was in, a, in the last church I was in, um, we had like little home groups or home church, whatever you'd call it. And um, I actually really loved how low stakes and casual it was. Like sometimes we had juice that we got, oh, I was really old. Um, we probably shouldn't have used, or it wasn't the right kind of juice, or we just, like, pulled something out of somebody's fridge, and we're like, that'll work. <laughs> um, and we had, like, defrosted gluten-free buns one time. I mean, it was very casual, um, but it felt way lower stakes and way less pressure than what I had felt, like, maybe in a, in a formal church setting. Um, and, we, and it still worked, I guess. I mean, I don't know. We did it, and it wasn't wrong, and it, or, you know, but in the sense of, like, it... it um, yeah, it was like a moment of quiet and reflection and sharing that with people. And I was like, oh, you can, you can do it this way. Mm. Um, and that was really cool. And I think I had done it a few times maybe before I had that realization that like this isn't, this isn't giving me anxiety. Um, and, you know, and it can mm -hmm. be as, as low key as that and still have significance. And it was, yeah. I love it. Lucky I got to do that. Harriet, you talked about transitioning from like not taking communion. I don't feel like we heard today. What are your thoughts? I mean, will you share? Do you still not take communion? I don't know. Are we out of that season? Um, yeah, so uh, I, if I could go back to my 30-year-old self when I quit taking communion, I would tell her something different. Um, what I think about when I take communion is not... not uh, not just what Jesus did for me on the cross, but the fact that Jesus experienced a broken body. Um, and so I think about what's my posture in coming to the table more now, and that is that I'm weak, I'm broken, and I might be wrong in a lot of things. <laughs> So, but the table is inclusive, not because you have faith or that you're perfect or holy, but that you, you identify with brokenness. Mm. 
and you come, and that Jesus meets me there in all the questions, all the doubts, all the lack of faith that I have, and he meets me there, and it's good. <laughs> it's like safe. It mm-hmm. is a place where I can encounter in Jesus. And sometimes, I often I don't get answers or anything, but that's what I try to remember is that I'm human. And that's that's the place to meet Jesus. Mm. Connie, I didn't know if you had a thought you wanted. You're in the nod or oh, I can. I oh, was, I was either there. way. I was just I was with Harriet. That's a great, that's a beautiful. I love hearing all these. Uh, two things come to mind in terms of what it means to me now. Um, one of them really started a few years ago, and I'm still processing it, probably five to seven years ago. Um, I was, well, it was probably more than that. I was uh, trying, was fighting cancer, and I was really needing to tune into my body and what was happening in my body and the way in the tradition I was raised, well, evangelicalism, the body is like, eh, fine, whatever. Now the mind, that's where you know Jesus. And and if you got, you know, my husband's history of the Pentecostal tradition, ah, the emotions, that's it, but the body, mm, mm, whatever. And I was starting to learn how, how me being embodied and actually remembering this was a profoundly spiritual thing. And communion became a really important part of that. This is, you know, all the Catholic sacraments, not all, five out of the seven have specifically to do with sensory things. Mm-hmm. And clearly there's an understanding that the body is important in that. And the other thing um, that I really I, I'm really in the middle of it, and I'm just going to be honest. I know. Can I be honest? Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> I think I still have a real tension with this because I feel like like communion or Eucharist is a profoundly mysterious thing. That there's something very, I think it was absolutely shaking when Jesus says, this is my body. This is it. And I know in the, you know, Protestant tradition, we're like, whoa, those Catholics, yikes, they kind of take this too far. That's really weird what they do with this. And I think in that reactivity, we've, I I feel like I'm still trying to figure out what is the mystery here? What is this thing that's actually happening? I got, I'm going to say, I really need it to be more than just cool. I remember. All right. Next thing. feels like there's something more to it that I'm still asking and I told these guys earlier when we were talking, I'm considering going to Catholicism for this very reason, to mm-hmm. say, what, what is this thing? And I'm, I'm still battling it out, still, still searching. Mm. Well, on that note, I think uh, if we could walk away or if you left this conversation, I just would want you to hear a few things. And the first thing is that at Cascade, our value is that the table is open for all. So that's regardless of gender, race, sexuality. Like I can start going down our line. The table is open for everyone. There's no age where you can or you cannot start having it. That's one of the most important pieces to us at Cascade. And that's not to say maybe if you're like me and you came from a different background that that is wrong or bad. It's just saying like this is what we're doing. And if you want to talk about how we got there theologically, right, it talks about Mark 14. It talks about church history like 
that's how we started those conversations, if that makes sense. And I'd love to have a continual conversation in that for you. But when we read Mark 14, what's fascinating is what we expect, right? There's all of these details about what the meal and the preparations. Jesus puts a lot of, like, information in there about what it needs to be, this Passover meal. And what's remarkable is, one, Jesus is sitting, right? He's the teacher. He's then sitting with his friends. And he's flipping this power statement of he's creating an equal conversation because all of the conversations up to this point has been about, I'm going to send the disciples out to a place and they're going to go and do this. And all of a sudden, it's now a conversation with each other. Does that make sense? It's a different, there's a switch and a turn that happens from you think it's going to be about the meal, right? We think that's where the focus will be because in Jewish culture, like this would have been stereotypical to have this blessing, like this is my body, this is like, that wasn't unusual, Right? I read that, I'm like, that is kind of some weird hanky-panky going, like, I don't know what's going on there. But, like, when they would have heard that, that would have felt like a very regular blessing. The shift is it's not about the temple, it's about me. Like, that's like this monumental moment. So when we read that and we look at that, what Jesus is saying to them is remarkable. It's a remarkable moment. So I don't, I don't want to miss that moment. Does that make sense? Regardless of what it means or doesn't mean to you today, I don't want to miss the context of what it comes from. So this morning, to continue the question of why do you take communion, knowing that this is a table that is open for all, I'm going to go ahead and invite the band up, and I'm going to invite uh, the ladies here to go, and we're going to do communion a little bit differently this morning. So if you would all start heading to your stations. And so um, normally, if you've been at Cascade, you know that we do communion in a way where we go row by row. And we kind of have order to it. And so this morning, what we're going to do, and really to reinforce that communion is a decision. It's not a forced statement. And that there's a mutuality that comes from that. And so if you don't want to take communion, that's fine. Let me be the first one to tell you that. So what we're going to do is I have um, the women throughout the room. Instead of having an orderly process to go about it, we would just ask if you would, during the song, if you so choose, you may go to one of the stations. Gluten-free option is with Kara in the rainbow. Yep, smiling away. And um, has not been touched by gluten. There we go. So uh, you can make a choice of where you'd like to take communion this morning. If you would uh, take the bread individually, and then if you would actually just hold on to the cup, and then we're going to take that together as a community this morning. So would you join me in taking communion this morning?